Welcome to another week's edition of Good Band, Bad Band, where we talk about two artists whose names sound similar, but the music is different. This week, we're talking about the Arctic Monkeys with the monkeys in the Arctic. Have you got color in your cheek? This is Jared. Caleb. It's Tyler. Time to get like a, a good old frozen monkey up in this business. Oh my. They're cold. Super cold. I see he monkeys. Let's talk about Arctic monkeys. Arctic monkeys. I've known about Start this group since uh, like 2006. Yeah, really? I mean, yep. from the beginning, I think all three of us would have been pretty like well entrenched in this like yep. music when they first started. Yes. Yep. So uh, I bought it bought the album when it came out. Not surprising. Well, the year at all. It came out. I don't know where I know I saw the music video for I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. I think that's what did it. Debut single on something. And uh they were big It could have been anywhere. That song yeah. I mean they blew up MTV like, two or something like that. So fast they blew yes. up. Um I remember my memory of Arctic Monkeys is they came out with their debut album, and uh, they blew up with the song "I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor." And I remember like seeing in various uh, publications, magazines, and such, calling them the next big British thing, like comparing them to the Beatles, Oasis, comparing really them the big to one. Oasis. Oasis was the big one, the next yeah, big thing. The, if anyone wants to listen to New Oasis. It was a lot of it was I mean it was much less the Beatles. I think that's more of like a three step process where it's like mm. they sound like the they, they're the new Oasis and Oasis was the new Beatles. Mm. I don't think that anybody mm. ever really said Arctic Monkeys were the new Beatles. Um, well, they just said they're like the new big big British yes. thing. Yes. The other one that obviously and this is no surprise to anyone who's familiar with Arctic Monkeys and this musical period of time, they were frequently compared to the Strokes. Um, oh, of course. Which I mean, this is. So this was the big takeaway I had that I've talked about before is just that the Arctic Monkeys were really at like the tail end of this kind of garage rock post-punk revival that happened. Like the Strokes kind of brought guitar rock back into the mainstream. Um, and then from there you saw, you know, Franz Ferdinand, who Tyler, of course, was going to mention at some point. So let's get it out now. Wow, way to just take that away from me. Get it out now. That's so rude. Get out of here. I'm so sorry. It's certainly not cool of you. I'm so sorry. Uh, so Franz Ferdinand, Arctic Monkeys, Interpol, like all those uh, White Stripes, all of those groups from that early 2000s era of like garage rock and post-punk revival, 2006 was really when that started to wane. And really Arctic Monkeys and like maybe a couple other like uh, the Fratellas and the Kooks were um, like any of, of the ones who came. Oh, the Kooks. The Kooks, baby. The only the really only ones who kind of came out after 2006 that anybody really cared a whole lot about. Otherwise, the whole scene kind of dipped out. So the Arctic Monkeys, Arctic Monkeys, no the in their name, uh, really kind of profited off of the already kind of building uh, sphere of this music, but they did it kind of in their own way that still differentiated them from the other groups, but definitely it helped that this was already kind of a popular scene when they started. Yeah, I mean, in the UK especially, there was already some building. A lot of his stuff was like kind of built by the Libertines. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, if it weren't for that type of situation. I mean, I've always been a fan of that type of stuff. When I watch the TV show The Inbetweeners, they have a lot of like mid-2000s, mid-aughts, like alt-rock, like what's left of... Where rock, where rock and like pop music goes in the UK after, um, Britpop stuff, including Maccabees, Wombats, um, the what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure. Could be uh, many others, really. The Vines. No. The Vines are yeah, but that's not, kind of like a one hit situation. I don't think they're right. were they even the Cribs, the Cribs, oh, the Cribs. Oh, I like the yeah. Cribs. They're good. Yeah, I mean, Man's uh, needs. So, Check out that song. Well, the, the what I think is kind of cool, like based on our age group, Arctic Monkeys are a very good um, center point for us in terms of what we would have been interested in. Because, yeah. uh, so the lead singer of the group, who 
at this very second I have lost the name of Alex Turner. Yeah, that's him. So Alex Turner had cited that the strokes were kind of like a turning point for him. Yeah. They had listened to a lot of hip hop when they were younger, like mm-hmm. a lot of the members and you know, Turner definitely was inspired by hip hop as an early artist. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until he was about fourteen, fifteen when the strokes came out. He liked the streets. He probably liked the streets. I could see that being the case. I think that streets, though, I think were right around the same era as Arctic Monkeys, though, weren't they? A few years earlier. Maybe, like, yeah. Like, probably at least. Maybe actually right around years. the Strokes era, actually. Mm, yeah, I think the the streets probably came out 96 to 98 ish area. He cited a lot more of, like, kind of the modern um, hip hop realm of, like, Outcast and the Roots oh, okay, and stuff okay, like cool. that. Yeah. Not necessarily UK hip hop, but, like, actually, like, um, more of like a critical hip hop, I guess, from that period. That's still mainstream enough that it would cross over. Okay. Anyways, so he, it was the Strokes really for him that kind of inspired him to go in more of a guitar rock kind of realm and to be inspired by that style of music. And that again was when he was like about fourteen, fifteen years old. Around two thousand six, when Arctic Monkeys came out, we were about you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. So it would have been really the same kind of formative sound is around 2006 for us that the Strokes would have been for Turner. So mm-hmm. it, it's I think that this is really one of those groups that's like a sweet spot for us as listeners is that we would have a lot of information about them because we grew up in this 2006 era of music. And I think it shaped our listening a lot. Uh, I disagree with that to a certain extent. So like... I was I listened to uh, all of whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not. Mm-hmm. Their debut album, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I like that album. album. I think it's a good album as well. It is a good album. And I also listened to the song Brainstorm, which was I ex- I was excited about. That was their first single. Love that song. After the debut album, mm-hmm. that was from their CD, uh, Favorite Worst Nightmare. And then I listened to a little bit of hum- Humber- hum- Humbug. 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 Their mm-hmm. third album, mm-hmm. and I said, I do not know any of these songs. I stopped caring about this band after the second album, sure. and I never well, like got yeah. back into them again. I right. just did not. You didn't ever really care about AM. No, not obviously no. that one. I mean, in terms of like streaming, because this yeah. is when the internet. Oh yeah, was yeah, yeah. That, bigger. That, at I this was point. so disappointed when I saw that Brainstorm was done on on the. Uh, the, li- the list. It really it comes later. down to AM. Oh, AM is the big reason for that because uh, one well, of the big important yeah, that, things about Arctic Monkeys yeah. is that they were built from the internet. They're one of the, the first groups to really be built off of the popularity of the internet. Sure. But obviously like Spotify and streaming and all of those types of things, Apple Music, all that, was not really a thing in the same way as it was in 2006. So you know, when AM came out and it had those massive singles, that's when that kind of happened. But had it been a case that, you know, we were maybe a couple years ahead of the time and whatever people I say I am came out when Spotify existed, it probably would have had way bigger songs. The thing that's interesting. So if you look at their uh, singles charts, uh, their debut single, I bet you look at on the dance floor, debuted at number one. Mm -hmm. When the sun goes down, their second single went to number one. Mm -hmm. Their third single went to number four. Brainstorm went to number two, all in the UK. That's what I was going to say. I was was going to ask, I assume you mean the UK charts. In the UK. Yes. But then what you're talking about with AM, uh, their debut from that, Are You Mine, got to number 23. Do I Want to Know is 11. UK? In the UK. Yes. They were more popular in the US from AM, I think. Well, that doesn't, that's odd. I know. Also, it's it's not odd though. There's a lot of reasons for it. One, to get back to your point really quickly about the brainstorm thing, please. That song was quite quickly once the album was released usurped by Fluorescent Adolescent, which is a much much larger song than Brainstorm. Yeah, that's true. So I don't even know. That you song. have the fact that the reason that you listen to this that, week. It, what's that? He said he didn't remember the song. I said I, said I don't know week. that song. I listened to it, but I don't know it. Yeah, but every, the Brainstorm, Abbott, I was guess more what? Everyone else knows that song, well, Jared. Everybody Everyone else knows that song. That is the much larger song. It is Arctic. the clear single big song off that album that has Cold. been covered by people. Stop. Let Tyler speak. Yeah, shut up. You. I listened here and listened to you talk this whole time trying to get in here, and you just kept blabbing. Blabber a bit. Big blab, blabby blab, blab mouth. Anyway, um, it's a big song. That song is bigger than Brainstorm, period. 
It's. I mean, it's. It is a beggar's. It is a big song. It was. I think it's a song that's been covered by many people. Yeah, I think Brainstorm was maybe. Um, it's the biggest song from the early style. I think that Brainstorm probably sticks out in your head because of the fact that it was yeah. kind of like that big fresh moment of oh my goodness, new Arctic Monkeys music. Like we were familiar, obviously, with uh, everything from whatever people say I am, and then Brainstorm is like the the next song from them it's like oh my gosh they're coming back like it wasn't like just a blip in time that one album came out um but i think you i mean you say like you lost interest by the third album i think you lost interest probably after brainstorm really i don't think you stayed super interested in the album favorite worst nightmare not really yeah so i think it was not a bad thing i think that's just like the reality of how that shaped out the change comes into humbug where they start to lose some of the aggressiveness on the guitar tonality it's not quite as just like in your face fast riff centric it's kind of starting to slow down just a little bit it's starting to like get melodies that are a little more kind of flowy his vocal delivery changes he's not doing the speed vocal situation again that he used to do he's kind of slowing down things begin to make a gradual shift from humbug to suck to see the am where at AM, it's just rock radio music, essentially. It, it fits into the period. It fits into what people want to listen to. They're big songs that are catchy. His singing has dramatically changed. And that's the reason AM is so much bigger. And that's also part of the reason why a lot of people don't really care. Like people who really liked them in 2006 and 2007, when they heard Humbug come out two years later in 2009, were just like, this is not what we want or what we're looking for. Some people were like that. I mean, my personal experience is I bought... The debut in 2006, I liked it. I really liked the guitar stuff. I really liked the singing stuff. So favorite were assignment is really cool and really good. I bought Suck It and See in the early teens and was like, okay, let's see what this is about. And I was confused. And then until I went back and got Humbug and realized that there was a gradual shift moving forward. And then at the time AM came out, <clears throat> or shortly thereafter, you know, I was dating a girl who really liked that kind of stuff so she liked it i was never a huge fan of it because i just thought it was like kind of sellout you know and i could still see a, a difference between suck it and see and am in a way that allowed me to still enjoy suck it and see because they use some more interesting guitar tonalities and trying to do a little bit of different stuff but they kind of quit doing that once am came out so yeah i think that um i, I don't remember the time period but i think that it I think around this time, a big part of what was popular was kind of what, like, the Black Keys were doing. It was a little bit more of, like, the blues rock was kind of popular in, you know, modern uh, rock music. Similar, not obviously in any way the exact same, but similar to, like, kind of the guitar tonality of, like, Queens of the Stone Age, which makes sense because Josh Holm worked with Arctic Monkeys, um, from my recollection. So, um so a lot of it kind of shifted away from that kind of um, uh, quicker rhythms and uh, punchier guitar riffs into kind of more of that kind of laid back, slow blues rock style that they started to go to in as well. So I, I think it makes sense that some people would probably latch onto that style. But for us who, again, like a lot of our music listening was shaped by some of that garage rock post-punk revival sound, we're going to gravitate more towards that style of music than kind of that blues rock style that maybe became a bit more popular about five years plus longer away. So, Yeah, and it also seems to like shed some of their like UK sensibilities. Like it, it sounds more American, and I, don't, I didn't want it. That's fair. You know what I mean? I liked – I found a niche in liking, you know, mid-aughts, uk indie rock type stuff and you didn't see it very much you didn't see that scene in the u.s you didn't hear a lot of it over here until you get arctic monkey something like that and then to like just hear them become all uk u.s based and like just sound like you know lose some of the foreignness is just disappointing i feel like uh some of the song titles are um a little bit like Morrissey-esque. I could see mm -hmm. that. Like with uh, uh, Don't Sit Down Because I've Moved Your Chair and mm -hmm. Why'd You Only Call Me When You're High. Yeah. Like just kind of like the kind of a little bit long form song titles. Uh, they actually, like, I don't think that their name is mentioned as much as maybe it should be in the Arctic Monkeys conversation because one of the big pieces of what make Arctic Monkeys kind of fascinating to me 
is that they're still on a UK independent label. Oh, really? Yeah, they're on still Domino? on Domino. Yeah, Domino's still an independent label. Like, they yeah. only... Good at, label, too. Yeah, they only at one point um, worked with Warner Brothers, but it was for Favorite Worst Nightmare only in the U.S. So it was just as a distribution thing. That makes sense. So they've been working on an independent label throughout their entire career, which is like the Smiths, you know, like the, to be an independent group in the U.K. to blow up on an independent label that's smith's baby that's smith's all the mm -hmm. way so you well, know there's, there's definitely big, some parallels domino's there. domino's bigger than the uk than you may think as well because there's a decent sure. amount of bands that have released stuff on uk on domino that kind of blew up before arctic monkeys paved the way i mean ferdinand was on there franz was on there oh were they okay see yeah, i wasn't sure on, i wasn't sure was the history there. of that i wasn't sure what the history of like what things came out on domino and how popular because again obviously being an independent label doesn't mean you're an unknown label it just means that you're not under a giant conglomerate or whatever it might be you know right. like it's not it's not as though independent music is just inherently like low quality not as good production whatever it might be it just means that maybe they're not owned by a giant fucking business yeah i mean domino did some uk distribution for pavement records too for instance did they mm -hmm. gotcha. so you know they're it's i mean it's a good label it's a, and they've got lots of artists but there's certain people who have kind of like put their time in on that label yeah that kind of paved the way so Did anybody like their most recent album at all? Any of us? No. Tranquility yeah. Base Hotel? Yeah. Even, maybe not even just uh, us, but just in general. I feel like that one. <laughs> that one, I feel. So Humbug and Suck It and See didn't really have a lot of like hits off of it, but I don't think people necessarily disliked that four, album. Four, no. out of well, five, four out of five people that listened to it did not like it. Yeah. Uh, it's not very Tranquility? Good. Yeah, because that's the lead single, four out of five. <laughs> Okay, nice. I didn't think about that part. Nice. I like it. I like that one, Jared. <laughs> I think that Tranquility Base Hotel was just like a bit out of the window at that point. Five years after AM, they went on hiatus, and so by that point, they'd lost a little bit of their steam, mm -hmm. and they weren't doing something a whole lot different on Tranquility either, and so I think that people just didn't latch onto it in any way, shape, or form the same way of everything that came before it. Yeah. So like as it, I previously stated... I had not like really gotten into uh, Humbug. So like yep. that's like three albums removed basically from that. So like for me personally, sometimes it seems like, you know, like, okay, so I like debut album. Then I like some stuff from the second album. Then I don't care about the third. And then once you get past that, it's very, very difficult for me to get back into a group yeah. and care about, what that next thing is, whether that's um, Arctic Monkeys, Franz Ferdinand, um, any group like that that just like keeps their a band from the mid 2000s that just keep releasing music that people like those groups, Train, whoever it is, you know, yeah, Train, let's get them in. Uh, that <sighs> like I, if they have a new album, I just do not care that it's coming out because I did not care about the second. Or the third or the yeah. fourth thing before that. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, Tyler listened to uh, their most recent album. Yeah. I so I like what you mentioned about the popularity of Humbug and Suck It and See. Not super popular, but I and there's not some like huge songs on those two, but there are some pretty good songs on those two. I actually kind of enjoy both of those. But uh, th what's interesting is like the plays of this in terms of being on Spotify. The play counts for songs on the new one is similar to suck it and see for instance mm -hmm. so it seems that it wasn't it, it definitely wasn't an am and i think people were there's a lot of people here's here's a good way to think about it there are a lot of people whose first introduction to arctic monkeys was am which is really sad for sure there were a lot of people who's especially i mean th this is probably pretty obvious and especially considering where we're at uh, it's very U.S. centric, you know, yeah. like it's not as though people in the U.K. were like, oh, what's this A.M. album? They knew. Right. They totally right. knew, you know, like yep. uh, but with A.M., obviously, they got a bit more of a, a Western market on our end of the spectrum. And not only that, but 
you know, they got a younger group who might not have grown up on whatever people say I am. You know, like it, it, that obviously with 2006, 2013, that's enough of a window that you would have a pretty drastically different younger audience of listeners. Right. So, and I think that just kind of overall, I think Arctic Monkeys already kind of tailor themselves to a younger audience um, rather than an older audience of listeners. I don't think that like an older audience would have really cared about what they were doing early on. Oh yeah. Um, what do you, what do you mean by older though? Well, they, when they started, they were only like 1920. Yeah. So a lot of their lyrics were about kind of like, to put it quite frankly, teenage bullshit, you yeah. know, like getting that's, high and smoking cigarettes and stuff. Yeah. I remember like the, the, getting kicked the, out of clubs and uh, uh, underage drinking. I, I remember the, the dancing shoes. The, oh Yeah. The first album uh, is just him with a cigarette, and I just remember that being like people did not kind like of that. an iconic image. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. It, it was I mean, like this it. controversial album cover. Yeah, there was a period of That's time. Her buddy. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. That's their buddy from a different band. He's just drunk smoking a cigarette. Mm. They uh they claimed that at one point like uh, critics were like, oh yeah, this is like this is glorifying smoking. It's making it looking like smoking looks cool, and they commented, they're like. Does that guy look like he's having a good time? <laughs> like, no, he's drunk, he, I'm he's just pretty like, sure he looks like, yeah, like not the picture of like, oh yeah, totally cool. It's like, oh, this guy looks like he's having a hard time right now. Yeah. So not quite, guys. Um. So Tyler, you said that uh, people had covered Falescent Adolescent. Do you know of other people who have covered songs from them, Jared or Tyler? I know that. At one point, we talked about Tom Jones covering uh, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Oh, I totally forgot about that. That's yeah, good. I know. That's on the Tom Jones episode, so check that out. Yes, please. So I found a few different covers. Uh, two from Triple J, which is a Australian radio station. We've mentioned them many times. Yes. Yep, yep. Uh, one is from BBC Radio 1, which Arctic Monkeys covered Drake. Okay. Uh, hold on, we're coming. Uh, we're going home, not coming home. And then Miley Cyrus uh, covered Why'd You Only Call Me When uh, You're High. That seems... Wait, yeah, it makes sense. That seems right. So those are the covers that I found. Uh, there's also, from the Triple J thing, Arctic Monkeys covered Tame Impala, and then Churches covered um, Arctic Monkeys' song. Mm. Um, what Tame Impala song do they do? Uh, Churches covered Do I Want to Know, uh-huh. and Arctic Monkeys covered... Uh, feels like we only go backwards. Oh, I think I remember that. We should play that one. That one's pretty good. Go ahead. I got my hopes up again. No, no, not again. It feels like I only go backwards, darling. I know that you think you sound silly when you call my name. But I get it inside my head all day Then I realize I'm just hoping. Tyler, you mentioned earlier, I think that's a good like representation of it, uh, that he slows down the way that he sings a little bit later in his career. Do you what, what do you what do you think about like kind of the slowdown just of the vocal end of things? It depends on how bug and succency. I don't really mind it because I think what they're doing musically uh, is kind of still interesting and really lends to it a little bit further on. And it, for instance, in that cover, I really just don't care for it that much. I don't know that I really like his voice a whole lot and it's, the way that he tries to do the slow singing situation. It's, yeah. it's a it's an iconic voice, but it's also like, do I want to hear this? Uh, yeah, right. for very long. His his accent is because uh, he's from Sheffield, oh. which their accent is kind of an off take of like a Yorkshire accent. It's rooted in that type of accent. I did some research that on like UK it. accents. I think I think that it's fun to look at UK accents because the UK is like not a super big area, but they have so many different styles of like dialect that I mean, is it makes, mind-blowing. It makes sense because if you look at the U.S., like all throughout the U.S. there's different accents. But we're huge. And so why wouldn't you? The but, U.K. is like two states. But I, well, what I'm, my point is, Laziness. is that people think that everybody in the U.K. sounds the same. Right. Whereas they do in, not. The, in the U.S., like not everybody sounds, like there's yeah. different accents for a lot of different regions. And so uh-huh. why wouldn't you think that people in the U.K. would all have different accents? But we're yeah. so stupid here. We're so stupid. <laughs> that we just assume everybody sounds the exact same in the U.K. And that's just a dumb 
dumb thing to I say. I watched this video of this guy trying to do a... Um, so he has a southern accent, and he was trying to practice doing like just a typical quote-unquote American accent, and it was so fun. Mm-hmm. Like You could hear all the southern accent, but he was like slowing down the way that he speaks. She was like, try and speed it up. He's like, I can't do it. It was that the word that was a struggle was the word oil because he could not uh, say the word oil. 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 No, I. Oil. Oil. He couldn't do it fast. It was hard for him. Anyways, but yeah, no. So his accent is definitely, I agree, very memorable. Mm. Not even just from like the Sheffield Yorkshire perspective, but also just like. I think he like if I if he's featured in a song, I would know it was Turner. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like yes. I think oh, I think he has one of the more iconic voices from um, the UK over the last two decades. Really, like not that I don't love Franz Ferdinand, but like if I heard the lead singer Franz Ferdinand in a song whose name I don't remember at this very moment, I, I don't Alex think Turner. I would. Go ahead. Sorry. What is it? Alex Turner. What? What's his name, Tyler? I know you whispered it. I said that was that's so rude of you to not remember his name. Oh, I figured you were whispering. What's his, his name? name? Alex Capranos. Uh, oh, it's also Alex. Huh. But if I heard him in a song, one's better though. I don't know that I would know it was him in the same way that I would know Turner was in. A I don't song. know if I would know now. Probably like a decade ago, I would have known. But... Maybe. Yeah. Well, he's also not as prominently. Like no one's going to Alex Capranos and getting him on. No. interviews all over the place and like you know what i mean yeah. they just didn't it just wasn't the same thing you're right you know it wasn't blown up in the same way their popularity wasn't you know the exact same i personally i think he has a pretty like i think alex Capranos has a pretty um like distinct voice and especially the way that he chooses to sing yeah much like the way alex turner does he just wasn't publicly but he wasn't publicized in the same way and he That's wasn't featured and he wasn't like here's alex turner with a guitar covering some song you know on youtube yeah you know it was just a different time still you know because the blow-up happened even though that they were of the same era to an extent the blow-up for arctic monkeys was nearly a decade later sure you know what i mean sure yeah I know that we uh, we spent a lot of time on them, and I know we probably have other thoughts. The only thing I was going to say really quickly, did either of you, because I did not, did either of you ever listen to Turner's um, side project? No. Tyler? No, I would have no reason to at this point. Yeah, that's fair. So he was he was a part of a side project uh, by the name The Last Shadow Puppets, which I, I've never listened to. I feel like it's worth mentioning that if you're really into the Arctic Monkeys, and uh, you never listen to them, maybe go check that out. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't have anything else that I really wanted to dig into. Anybody else? No, he did a he did a movie for the or a EP for the film Submarine uh, that came out in 2010. I remember seeing this uh, movie poster here with the boy uh, sitting, but I don't remember anything of the music. But it was a UK based film that he did the ep4 for the basically the soundtrack of the film it's coming of age drama but yeah that's all he's really done i don't know i do love when people come of age mm. oh no oh, boy. oh no sound like a republican oh god yes. no no get that out of your mouth uh, listen here's what i'm saying i don't care about age i just care about legal legal oh, man is it legal <laughs> I'm gonna keep referencing Art Kelly every goddamn time. Is he is he in prison with Bill Cosby? Yet? I don't know, but that'd be a great spinoff. Oh my gosh! Imagine that show. Imagine show. that sitcom: Bill Cosby and Art Kelly sharing a bunk. I love it. I don't see nothing wrong. Who with gets on? Who's on top? With Turn the- down the TV. <laughs> I am trying to sleep. <laughs> Move on. Play a, right, play a monkey do, song. Let's get to the monkeys. I thought love was only true in fairy tales. And for someone else, but not for me. Our love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. Then I saw her face. I'm going to get this out of the way now. 
because I know you want to keep it pretty tight so we can talk about the monkeys. Shrek. Let's move on. Sweet. Great, great reference. Thank you. Let's get right on. Okay. <laughs> get away from Shrek as much as we can. We know it. It's not. It's pretty obvious. I mean, monkeys. Uh, well, you think it's mouth. a good cover? I think the Smash Mouth cover is good. Yes, I, I, I do think it is. It's fine. Yeah. I agree. Um. So the monkeys are a group that were manufactured for a television program. Indeed. That incorporated um, musicians that later decided to not be so... Um, to be musicians. They weren't so... Yeah, to be real. Yeah. Real boys. Yes. So they, they didn't want to be as manufactured. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. What I told Caleb earlier was they... So they were on a TV show, but then they wanted to become... The Monkees. Uh, yes, the show is The Monkees. They wanted to become real musicians... They were real musicians. They didn't want to be recognized as real musicians. Correct. So the TV people didn't want them, but because they came from TV, the music industry didn't want them either. So they were in this weird middle ground where neither of the two parties wanted them. Yeah. And they were... They were panned uh, pretty widely. They were pioneers Mm -hmm. in um, freedom uh, of, of getting out of... For sure, of their music, yeah, like based contracts. They, so, I mean, they they were big in terms of like rebelling against what was being done to them correct. and being able to break out away from that. I mean, the fallout of what happened with them and uh, Don Kir- Kishner, uh-huh. or Kirshner, Kirshner. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I f- I found that like very very interesting. The way that like really they won that fight yes in a way that i would not have anticipated yeah uh but we'll obviously get there so so i uh have been a fan of the monkeys for a long time um like you know like growing up as a kid you like the song like i'm a believer and stuff like that sure but then when you become an adult you kind of like look more into the history of the group and uh kind of appreciate a little bit more like the stance that they made and such Mm -hmm. a few years ago me and my mother and my grandpa went and saw two of the members of the Monkees play a show, Michael Naismith and Mickey Dolenz. And uh, it was good. It was fun. But uh, it was after Davy Jones had passed away and prior to Peter Tork, who was another member of the Monkees. Uh, he was not a part of the touring. Mm-hmm. They had a very interesting relationship, the four members of the Monkees, because... They did. They... I watched an interview basically where they were like, we're brothers and family, but families fight kind of thing. Yeah. And so, um, and they had like different, you know, like Michael Naismith is more of kind of a folk musician, whereas Davy Jones is more of a pop musician. They mm-hmm. all brought something different Correct. to the group in ways that people maybe don't appreciate. And they also, I mean, not just people, but the people in the group yeah. had different visions of what the albums and things should be. Mm-hmm. So, right. and I think that that's, so I, I will go ahead and out myself because every once in a while, it, it's all, it's never, it's a crapshoot. You never know what's going to happen. I did a lot of additional listening on the monkeys. I listened to, I believe three full albums from okay. the monkeys. I listened to the first couple albums just to get an idea of kind of what their early sound was and how it was impacted by the way that their music was formulated. Because very briefly, so we don't spend forever on it, a lot of those first couple of albums, the first really two, um, was just session musicians. They weren't really granted the opportunity to really make their own music to the point that they wouldn't even bring them into the studio. They would just have them do maybe some vocal parts. And they were not thrilled with that being the way that that was handled. And we'll get to that again more in just a second, of course. But... Even like in the show, which I thought was one of the most strange concepts that they would do, they chose what instruments they would play, not based on their talents. Like the members of the monkeys were musicians. They weren't just people who like they picked off the street and said, You look like you'd be good on TV. Yeah, they all they're all musicians and all they talented. They all auditioned. Yeah. Uh, and had musical chops prior to auditioning. So like Davy Jones had uh, a reputation around that area mm-hmm. and like other members had different reputations 
musically yes and also auditioned for this show correct and so when they cast them for what they would play on the show it wasn't even based on what they were talented at yeah. so like you know one of the members i don't remember who it was who's shorter but one of them was seen as shorter okay. and so he was the one who was good at drumming and percussion but they didn't make him the drummer because they thought they wouldn't see him on tv because he's Davey shorter. jones david jones yeah that's yeah. right so he was, you know, they put him in that role just because people wouldn't see him on TV. Like, it had nothing to do with his talent. It was just about image at that point. And so, you know, like, the first two albums, like, you really couldn't even say that they were Monkees albums. They were just sets of songs, like, selected with them on the cover to say that they came from the Monkees. I think they were also a part of the show. Like, it's kind of like a... A soundtrack to yes. the show, yes, too. very much. Right. So. I mean, the first song right. on the first album is the theme to the monkey, which is a good song, and they did not play That's live. It's a good very theme. Sad. It's a good theme. Agree, it is a good song. I was so it is a good I theme. was so sad they didn't play it live, People but I also kind of like kind of understood why they didn't. You know, well, they got to be monkeying around. You got to <laughs> let us know what you're going to be doing up there. Uh, absolutely, I mean, they call them the monkeys, and we don't think they're going to monkey around. Um, so the second album is where things started to come to a head. Again, I don't want to spend like, because I know there's so much to talk about with them. Monkeys are one of, honestly, the artists that we have probably the most rich is history to get through in a short period of time. Like, there's so much about the Monkeys we could talk about. Um, so the second album is when things came to a head. So their producer was Don Kirshner, and Don saw no talent in them at all. Thought that they were a, a blip. They didn't. He didn't care about their talent in the least bit. Had no belief in them. And so with the second album, they didn't even know it was coming out. So he released the album like without their even their knowledge, and they had to go buy it. Like they didn't even give them a copy of the album. They had to go buy their own album to know what was on it. They didn't. They took apparently, which I thought was one of the 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 funniest concepts in the world was that the cover of the second album was like not even like intentionally a picture for the album. It was just a picture of the four taken for a JCPenney advertisement. And they splattered it on an album cover. Isn't that funny? Why would you do that? <laughs> uh, just Here's a good picture. Just stick this on there. I mean, it does look like an album cover picture, though, really. Yeah, it does. The angle and everything. It does. Um, and so what happened was was that they – the idea was that Kirshner could not release music without – or oh, while also releasing other music not related to them. So as to say that you would be able to take material from the Monkees and then release it with unrelated material to then benefit – a different audience. It has to be like monkeys and monkeys only, if that makes sense. So what he did was that he released a song um, from the monkeys along with on a single, a song that was written by Neil Diamond and they fought it and they said, yeah, you can't do that. And they actually got Kirshner booted. And at that point from three, the third album on, they could start kind of having more creative freedom with their own music. So that's the very quick, first year really of the monkeys which is why it's crazy to me that like um people view them as like a fake band because i think that's the big predominant conversation of the monkeys like oh yeah they were a fake band they were a fake band for two albums two albums well, they, in less than a year they toured and they uh like played their actual instruments that they knew how to play live mm -hmm. and the crowd was confused because they're like hey that's not what you did on the show right it's like because they're like the show is not the real thing right like yeah. it's a right. show and you're seeing the band play the band like but they all were like relatively proficient in all of the instruments obviously you know right. so right i mean I they know, were talented they knew i mean they picked up a lot in terms of like being able to play they were again they're not, all you like, can't really shrug them off in terms of no. um their talent they're all uh, good songwriters as well. Like Mickey Dolenz is known as a pretty good songwriter. Uh, Michael Naismith is known as a good songwriter. Like later in their career, mm. they all wrote various songs. Did you see uh, some of the like the last album that they made? Uh, plus, they released a Christmas album. Uh, of course they did. Yes. Of course they did. Uh, they had various people uh, perform or write songs for their albums. Uh, on the album, 
um, Good Times that came out in 2016. Um, Rivers Kiyomo wrote a song. Really? Uh, Schlesinger from uh, Fountains of Wayne that recently passed away mm -hmm. wrote some songs. Um, but they had like various uh, reunions at different points. Multiple in, different uh, reunions. In their yeah. careers. They broke up and got together in different formations at multiple different points. I think the two most consistent members that I could tell were uh, Dolan's and Jones. Mm -hmm. And then Naismith would kind of dip in and out. And then Twerk would dip in and out. And then now, with Jones and Twerk both passed, Dolan's and Naismith were kind of the last two kind of surviving um, but continuous members of the group. Yeah, th those are the two that I saw live. The other album... That, so the album that I listened to as well, I don't know how much you guys have listened to um, particularly Tyler. Jared, sounds like you've listened to some, so I'd like to hear what you have listened to, Tyler. But I listened to Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones, LTD, which is kind of regarded as like their best album, most well-received album, um, and was kind of really their most breakout musical album. And I liked it quite a bit, but that album actually has music written by Carol King and her partner, whose name I'm, I'm losing right now, and then has a song from... Um, Oh my gosh. What's the coconut guy? Big Harry songwriter. Nielsen? Harry Nielsen has a song. The song um, Cuddly Toy is written by Nielsen. Oh, that's a good song. But they've had, I mean, they've had people writing their music for a long time, but that album is actually like honestly pretty good because again, like it does use session musicians, which like, okay, fine. Everyone else in popular music that's ever existed ever, that's fine, guys. You do your thing. Um, but like, it's actually like pretty good just like, music in general it's not too different from the 60s sound they're one of the first groups which i think tyler would find interesting at, at, to talk about um they're one of the first groups to use like the moog synthesizer in popular music yeah isn't that weird i wouldn't have thought it was the monkeys no that's not the group that you would think would have been the first one to, to do it yeah it's definitely interesting i like their sounds pretty good i mean if it, it does fit right in it fits right in with other i mean even stylistically it fits in with other bands paul revere and the raiders is a band that i think about when i think about 60s garage rock that mm -hmm. was popular mm -hmm. and they fit right in there with like that kind of genre of stuff and, and things that are quite good and they're good songwriters and they're good musicians and it, like the fact that they you know i, I just wonder sometimes like they, some of those decisions they made because they felt like they had to because something had to be done to like escape the first two albums and the the public understanding of what they were because of the television show and things like that. So right, I think that maybe led them to make some more interesting like the choices on some of the music that was their own uh, their own writing and their own composition. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's crazy too is that like I mean we're sixty no, around sixty 67. years. 60 years removed from them existing at the initial point. And again, we're talking about like really a year of their career and modern people still view them as like a quote unquote fake band. They, they mm -hmm. never got away from that image their entire career, well, regardless of what they did. The TV show. Right. I mean, if it weren't for like, you know, if that, if they were a fake band created for like, label promotion or something like that and then like they continued to make their own music and the label just kept putting it out maybe it'd be different but when you're like a fake band who was like made for television and like that's where people know you and it becomes known that like you're not real you're just a tv made thing yeah it's but they only more difficult to escape they only did the show for like three years of yeah. their of their career yeah, it doesn't matter though because no, that, that has a much larger place in culture than just like but the Being. like historically, they were a band not on a TV show way longer. But what Tyler's saying is, is no, that know, the height of their popularity yes. was during and based on the TV show, not right. necessarily their that's music. That's the cultural relevance of them as a band. That's yeah. what that's the lasting cultural relevance of it. So it doesn't really matter how long they were a band afterwards, actually making their own music. Right. The cultural relevance of the era is that this and and, and the like. The quirky thing to talk about with them is. Yeah, they were a band that were made for a TV show. That's the thing that, like, that's the rumor. Yeah. That's, like, the thing that spreads culturally. Not that they right. were a band that made music after that, that were legitimate. And really, so. their popularity almost completely dipped from, like, 68 on. Like, 68 was the album and feature film Head. Yeah. 
um, which is worth you know a little bit of information on. Yeah, so Frank Zappa is in it. Frank Zappa is in it. Uh, quite panned. People did not like Head at the time. It's gained a little bit of a cult following based on who was a part of it and kind of the humor that was involved in the making of that film because. Like, The Monkees, which is worth mo- noting as well, we watched some of the clips of The Monkees. Um, they're funny. Yeah. Like, they're not just, like, <laughs> like really annoying TV personalities. They're pretty funny and, like, not just in, like, a, oh, ha-ha, I guess this is funny for the 60s way. Like, they were just kind of, like, they were kind of different and uh, off the beaten path in terms of the humor they used, and that was displayed in Head, and people didn't really like it at the time. So, really, from Head on, Head on, uh, things just kind of fell apart for them. So we're talking 66 to 68 was their height. And then from 68 to 2018, their recording career of multiple albums never reached the point of what they did in those first like two to three years. Right. Well, it all was just going to be based off of that anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to redefine yourself when you're, it's like the Beatles in a way, except that the Beatles like really were in a period a little bit earlier than this when they could really define music differently. Right. And there was like a super clear, super clear change when they began writing their own music. Rubber Soul yeah. is different than any album that came before that. For sure. Not, not that there's not differences when the monkeys start doing it, but it's still really heavily reliant on the pop, the 60s pop stuff. So mm-hmm. it's zombie it style look, kind of pop. Right. It doesn't stand out as a as a dramatically different thing and people aren't looking for them as like musicians whose music they're going to like just on their own they're looking at them as like this is, these are songs i know from the television show these are songs i know from you know this this cultural per- performances thing that were done on tv shows even not out like outside because they had you know um features outside of obviously based on their popularity their own tv show they were featured on right. other shows so like you know their popularity in a, in a very strange way, was very built out of just, like, television and had almost nothing to do with their recording career. Nobody right. really remembers them for their music. They remember them for, you know, the height of their popularity with television, even though a song like I'm a Believer is a massive song because mm-hmm. what's odd about them is that we don't even know what songs came from the Monkees, and when I looked, I was questioning constantly, was this a monkey song or did they like, was it a standard that the monkeys popularized? Like I didn't know what they did for themselves really until the last couple weeks. And, and like, it's not like the songs that were in the show or the songs that were written for them to do, to perform and record for the vocal portion are bad songs. Right. It's not like there's like bad. It's not like the songs in the first two albums are not good. There's good mute. They're good songs. They're good pop songs. Yeah. And I mean, you they, know, with, from their minds. with the Beatles comparison, which obviously is a pertinent conversation when you're talking about the monkeys, because, you know, people just said that they were the fab four, the fabricated four of the Beatles in the same way. Um, you know, they, uh, Jared and I were talking about how they just had like a cordial relationship. Like they respected each other. It wasn't that like the Beatles were like, oh yeah, screw those guys. Like they're just trying to rip us off and they have no talent. Like they were willing to hang out with them. And a lot of the members of the monkeys saw so much value in the members of the Beatles and not just like a, we're trying to steal from you, but like a respect way. Um, so I don't know. Like, it's interesting to see that like, you know, maybe the cultural eye has always shunned the monkeys, but I think that those in the industry who were a little bit more aware of them and their talent did not see them that way. Like maybe we still view them as a quote unquote fake band today, but like, if the Beatles were willing to be cordial with them, they must have not sucked that much. Well, I mean, the Beatles were a fake band to begin with, too, and to an extent. That's true. I mean, it's worth. I mean, yeah, they didn't have the same, obviously. Like, like they one, transcended that way better than the Monkees, but yes. And once again, the songs that were from that era of the Beatles are still good pop songs. Yeah. You know, same thing. Speaking of fake bands, did you guys see, I'm assuming you did, the project that old Don Kirshner fronted following the monkeys? No. No? No. Tyler? I did not. He was the one who fronted the Archies. He oh, was... I saw that song in there and I wondered about that. Yep, I put it in there. Weren't there like a bunch of different his... groups that came from that, though? 
Uh, I think that's the most prominent one. That was at least his next step. He determined that uh, the Archies, who, if you're not familiar with 1960s uh, comic strips, which mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners, all of you are, um, the, the beginning of it was that because of the fact that he uh, felt that it would be a lot easier to not try and seize control from some cartoon characters than some human beings, which, you know, makes Same. some sense. But also... I didn't realize that the song Sugar Sugar was really from the Archies. Like, that's such a big song to come from a cartoon group. Did you know uh, that movie we were talking about by the monkey's head? Yeah. Was written by Jack Nicholson? I did! That's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. He was like a B-movie horror person at that time. Mm -hmm. And he wrote that movie, and then he later became... Jack Nicholson, the people, the person that everybody loves. Wild. When did The Shining come out? Oh, 70 something. I believe it was like 60. I thought it was the 60s, but it was, it was no, 80. It was... Shoot, that was so late. 80? 1980. Wow. I thought it was like mid-70s. I feel like that was when Nicholson blew up the most was from The Shining. I think obviously he had more of a career. But it's crazy to think that like Nicholson had a career even like long before then oh yeah like 12 years before then mm-hmm. at that point which means yeah, even more than writer. that he didn't start with head something one was easy rider not sure not sure i'll see here easy rider was 69 easy rider nice. that's a movie that he played a prominent role man i said can't know. believe it was 69 yeah it's it, nicholson is an odd person and to think about like the like how his career shaped out and how long he's been like active and still like I mean he's not as popular by any means as he used to be but like he's still a name we know he hasn't he hasn't been anything in a long time long time but he's he was old. in uh, of horrors he was mm. in the Raven he was mm. in the Terror like lots of different Nicholson B is a, movie horror films Nicholson is a a big dude and like became, he's like yeah and then he one became, of the most popular and well celebrated actors of all time yes. Not who we're talking about today. No, I know, I know. You keep going on. I was just excited to talk about him too. I, I'm agreeing it. with you. It's okay. I got it. I was trying to. That was me. Not blame, blaming you, but he is exciting. He is exciting. So uh, yeah. another thing that I remember growing up of uh, my adoration for the monkeys mm-hmm. was they were uh, characters in the television yes. program Boy Meets World on an episode. Uh-huh. A couple episodes it looked like actually. Well, it, it appears like at various times. I remember the one where they did like uh it was uh Amy and um uh what's his name? Whatever the dad's name is. Yeah. Uh there was their anniversary and they hired a group that just so happened to incorporate characters that were the monkeys, but they were not playing the monkeys on the show. Yep. I mean, he because he had a whole different name. He was he was Reg Reginald Fairfield. Look, it's Reg Reginald Fairfield. They do that all the time. Jared watched a whole set of clips that was just them saying that name that way multiple times. But yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember them being in that episode. I remember uh, just like the the them kind of being around in the '90s a little bit mm-hmm. for me to at least like have an idea of who they were. Yeah, and then when I started collecting records, uh, I would see the the monkeys records pretty often, mm-hmm. and then kind of did my own uh, digging on the history of the monkeys and such. Well, it's funny because you know, when you mentioned that, the other thing too about that is that a lot of their renewed hype actually came from other television because like they had faded away for a long time, but they came back to the charts because of being featured on MTV and Nickelodeon. Oh my. Like their show was like featured on both of those like later in the career in like the mid eighties and like got popular obviously not Nickelodeon in the mid eighties because of the obvious existence of the Nickelodeon, but what? um well when did Nickelodeon start? I don't, I don't Probably like the nineties like the early or the late early to the late nineties or mid nineties. It doesn't matter. Anyways, so early. Early nineties? Seventy seven. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, you're wrong. I knew you Who were knew? wrong. I didn't think that Nickelodeon was that big of a deal at the time. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, so a lot of their repopularity came from the monkey mania exploded Ooh. again because of being featured again on MTV and Nickelodeon. So, sure. like, 
you know, being featured on like Boy Meets World around that period kind of makes sense. Cause like, I'm sure they were looking for the TV stuff that would get them kind of back to their height. So funny enough. Uh, I think it was Peter Tork that created MTV. Really? That's what I read. Or I saw a video, uh, I watched this video on YouTube called, uh, the, uh, sad life or something weird like that of the monkeys oh yeah the tragic was tragic it? life, tragic of the life of the which monkeys. i watched the video it was not really that tragic but you know they had to get clickbait going on or whatever sure. but uh yeah they brought up peter tork and his um life and uh his situation with the monkeys leaving the monkeys and he is the one i believe that created uh mtv and then michael naismith uh also he had like a a book or whatever, and he talked about that. And I guess he had an affair with his friend's wife or something. It was like they were trying to find as many bad things that happened within their lives in the video as possible. But yeah, seems like they had decent lives, really. So there is so much more, so much more, so much more we could talk about. But I have one last thing that I think would maybe be the most logical kind of closing thought about them, because again, we could talk for probably another like three hours. You think they should be in the Rockwell Hall of Fame? Sure. Yes. Why not? I've said that many times. There's like a weird... It's I mean, it's crazy point, to think that like there's still some kind of weird rivalry of not putting them in. At this point, it's kind of weird because like two of the members are dead and so... Mm-hmm. And the other two are like, you know, in their 70s. Yeah. So it's like... W- if they if they don't put them in before they die, then why even mess with it at all? Just because they but, should at that point. But I think but. that like if you're looking at like we should put them in for hits, then they're probably check that box. If you put them in for like music relevancy of one of the first groups that you know like successfully sued for musical freedom okay they check that box yes they do if you uh put them in for um you know like being in a group for a long period of time okay they check you know like yeah all of the basically major boxes you would check for uh the criteria of a group being in the rock room hall of fame they check all those boxes Mm -hmm. and it's like at this point, like we already said earlier, they're not—they're not like a fake band. They're a manufactured band for a small period of time that said we are more than this, and then broke out and made various albums, a very strange movie, did their own solo stuff, came back, did another album, left again, and then now have toured and made various albums like. I mean, it's the same thing of any other group that, like, like Boston or whatever we've talked about previously. That, mm-hmm. Like, a group from that time that... But they don't really recognize people from that time period as often now. Like, they're putting in people that are um, more recent to a certain extent. Whoever's but, coming up most recently, and they've determined that anybody who is outside of that window must have not been put in for some reason. Like, yeah. I mean, they described it in what I would describe as accurate terms. They're basically just like a country club. Like, they, oh, I mean, yeah. it's not it's it's not founded on anything. It's just makes sense. Let's put them in. At this point, I don't put a lot of stock into it anyways, because it's not really the Rock and It's not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anymore. It's the Music Hall of Fame. Yes. It's still relevant. It's still like, yeah. It's still, they're basically like a Rolling Stone interview or a re- I agree. review where yes. you're like, this isn't Rolling Stone really... is a big deal, but also you're literally just like three people. And their, their opinion like, matters less now than it used to. Yes. But it's I still agree. like a name. It's still like, you it's, know, it's important it from the perspective of like a name recognition. But again, it's just a conglomerate of like rich people who are making decisions about who matters. Like it doesn't really have a true bearing on who are the most important artists of all time. So are we ready to vote again? Like I said, we could spend forever talking. I think so. Okay, cool. Uh, Jared, know your answer. So please start. I will vote for the monkeys. 
Are you waiting for me? No, I just thought maybe you'd have some more to say, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I thought so too. You, I was giving you a window of time to say more if you had it. No, I mean, all right. Yeah, that said, covers that covers. I said the things that I should say, I suppose. Cool. Tyler? Um, you know, I think this is kind of uh, a little bit difficult, but I like Arctic Monkeys and I like the first two albums, really. I think they really fit in and kind of were, even though I think they fit into a certain period and certain style i think that they had their own kind of thing that was different and that kind of made up a, a voice for the period as well so i think that's kind of cool but i think i'm gonna have to go with the monkeys i think i'm where you're at too honestly i jared oh thought gosh. that it was gonna be him only being the only one who voted for the I monkeys a, but i had lunch with john uh, a couple weeks like patron a, john a, like a week ago and he he did a little, john he did a little uh guesswork of who people would vote for in this and he put he pegged you two for arctic monkeys and he pegged me for the monkeys and this is a a landslide look at that a la dixie chicks a la oh boy uh uh the smashing the, uh, pumpkins, smashing pumpkins, a la yeah. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, all of those things. I uh, so well, easy to vote for Fleetwood Mac when you <laughs> put Fleetwood Mac up against. I think because uh, I'll clarify, Arctic Monkeys were more formative of my listening by far because of, of my age. Sure. But again, like you know, I really love two of their albums, and outside of that, not as much. Sure. The Monkeys' rich history and their importance just trumps my personal enjoyment. I'm being um, objective rather than subjective on this edition. The the and monkeys I'll are say, very interesting, and in like I feel like mm-hmm. "I'm a Believer" is a bigger song than anything the Arctic Monkeys have ever done, right. which is fine. Whatever. And I'll, here's what I'll say: if there's if there's a standard, this is the standard. Okay, Arctic Monkeys have multiple Brit Awards mm-hmm. for their albums, yeah. seven Brit Awards. Oh wow! Best British group on three time uh, three occasions, Mercury prizes. But here's the thing, okay? The monkeys, the monkeys had Weird Al Yankovic open for them in 1987. So winners, winners so easily. I'm just saying, if you've got a standard, that's got to be it. I'm saying my mother watched the monkeys and liked the monkeys and had a crush on Davy Jones. It should be. Davey. I have a crush on Davy Jones. <laughs> what did you say? I said I have a cr- I had a crush on Davy Jones. He's yeah, a, he he's a cute little short man. man. Cute little short man. Like Leslie My, Jones. If I were to have to determine who is more prominent in in develop my musical development, I it may be the monkeys because a big portion of my musical development was listening to sixties garage based pop music with my mom when I was growing up. That's and fair. It was a lot of monkeys type stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Including monkeys. Did I, you uh yeah. before we get uh off of this episode, did you listen to the song Randy Scoo's Get? Tyler. No. Okay. So I watched the music video for it on YouTube and uh, it's a very, it's a like a kind of a fast song uh, sung by Mickey Dolenz. And one of the comments said before the Pixies did fast, slow, fast, this song came out. So like Ooh. they were, so I was hoping you would listen to it and kind of get maybe an idea of it. Nope. If you outside of this episode, if you will listen to it and kind of give I'll me listen. your idea on it, it is. It's like a like early punk song almost, like with just the speed of it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. But uh, hmm. yeah, it was on. It's it's uh, interesting. It was a song I wanted to talk about. Um, the song, one of the songs they played when I saw them live was called Saint Matthew, uh, and also the song The Grand uh, Ennui. Uh, Michael Naismith did it, um, and uh, it's a. Kind of a, like a folk. He he brought more of a folk country sound to the group. You're sneaking a lot of details. I'm throwing here some at the stuff end. in, and uh, those are songs worth. End. We didn't like play any songs. Almost the whole episode. Yeah, yeah. we had a lot to talk happening. about. You said you want to keep it tight. Anyways, those are songs that are worth listening to. Saint Matthew and, and Grand Way. Also, last thing, uh, it's not a total. Dixie Chicks, Smashing Pumpkins, Fleetwood Mac, which is odd that you okay. went in like ascending order um, of it's, who released It's based the music. on the best of the versions. I disagree. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Patreon disagreed with us. They uh-huh. picked Arctic Monkeys, okay. not the Monkeys. So not a total landslide, sure. but still current active members of the podcast. We all picked the Monkeys, so. Any right. notes from Patreon here? They did not have any notes on this occasion, right. but if you... 
would like there to be notes on our episodes, the most uh, the the, mo- the next one coming out, Soldier Boy George. If you're so excited to talk about that, join us on Patreon so you can tell us your thoughts, please. please. What an episode that will be! What an episode that will be! On don't you want to support us before that happens? Yeah, you better get in there. Or we're gonna do all the talking without you. And you want you don't want that. We promise you, you don't, don't want, want that. You want to have input. Please, we need your input. Seven. What number is this, Chip? Seven A. Okay, not me. Don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. He is short. <laughs> he is. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Good Band, Bad Band. Uh, we have discussed the monkeys and Arctic monkeys. Next time we record this, we will be talking about... Uh, Soldier Boy George. <laughs> I was like, I mentioned it like two minutes. Ago. I got it. I knew what it was. I just had to compose myself. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be quite a thing. Uh, so, check it out. Check out our Patreon. Listen to the monkeys. Go see them. They're going on tour this year. As a farewell, and as a farewell to this episode, I say, cheer up, Sleepy G. Recordroundtable.com. Goodbye. Baby John, he was five foot three. Five foot three? He's a little bitty man.